So as I mentioned earlier, right now, there are about 40 Venture Church people in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. In total, I didn't see the total count, but it's normally about 17 or 1,800 people are gathering for the Carolina Christian Youth Conference. I'm starting with this because it's, it's a big part of my life. I grew up going to CCYC as a kid. Yeah, this is our kids right here. Look, that's the group right before they left. And, uh, and some of them aren't even in the picture. So it's like we got there and there's more people. There's a guy that used to attend church with us here uh, when he was in college. He got married, moved to Greensboro. And then we had one of our sponsors got sick last minute, sat at Friday morning. We were able to call on that guy, and he's a sponsor with our group right now. Isn't that cool? Uh, so you know Nathan Myers, like, send him, I don't know, money or cheeseburgers or whatever Nathan needs because he really bailed that group out. I grew up going to the Carolina Christian Youth Conference uh, and to the point where after I got out of college and got into some, uh, some ministry in my 20s, actually was able to be part of the planning team. So I got involved in the planning team, and within a couple of years, I was invited to be the executive director of the Carolina Christian Youth Conference. And it's something that's been around for like 40 years. And so to be a part of that team and be part of leading the vision, we get to the point where we move venues several times. And all along the way, we, we had established these vision of like supporting worldwide missions and helping kids discover Jesus and like all those things over and over again every year to the point where then when we moved to Wilmington and we started Venture Church, and to have a youth group that started to go to the Carolina Christian Youth Conference, and I was still uh, on the planning team and leadership there, to see our kids, my very own kids, my flesh and blood, go to that same event. It's just, it's just cool when you're part of that. I would describe it as, we talk a lot in our church about pockets of heaven, and it's like the biggest pocket of heaven that I get to go to every year. To get to sit there and be like, this is what it would look like with you know, every nation, every creed, every color, every language. And we were probably missing a whole lot of different people at this little event. But to think everybody's praising the name of God and to do that together. Um, after I transitioned out of some leadership there, I've been being invited back to do a workshop on Saturday. So yesterday, uh, I got to teach three different workshops. I think about 800 kids went through my spot. And, and you're going to love this, guys. You're going to love this. My topic... My thing that I get to choose was pockets of heaven. It's been so pivotal to who we are as a church, to who God has grown, even just me and my heart, that when they invited me to teach, I said, this is the thing I want the kids to know. And actually, as I was working on what I wanted to say today, I thought, man, I think we should do the same thing. Like the same thing I talked about yesterday. I want to share some of that with you here today. We're going through a series right now called Living Above and Beyond, and it's kind of a, a sequel series to one we did about a year and a half ago called Above and Beyond, and, and that was just kind of like a challenge, like what are the non-negotiables in our church family that we say, we, we're all about, we do this, we're just an above and beyond people, and we had some things we went through. This time around, and we're in week two now, what we're doing is going through what we're calling our five core values. If you got coffee this morning, there's some framed words above the coffee bar. And those are our five core values. And ever since we moved into the building and hung those, I've referenced them a dozen times. So you probably feel like you've already heard this lesson. Um, but there are five things that we say we stand on. They're the things that guide what we do. It guide our calendar. It guides how we spend our money and resources. It guides how we you know, use our time. And today we're talking about the value of we value creating pockets of heaven. I've been saying this phrase for a long time at our church, but I, I got to be honest, I didn't make it up. Uh, it's been floating around for a long time. Uh, and the way I first heard it was through a group called the Bible Project. And so maybe you're familiar with Bible Project. I've got a slide here that just shows you, they, they, they do a lot of things, but on the, on the right side there is a QR to their Bible Project app. You can just type Bible Project in your app store, you'll get it. And on the left side is straight to their website. Um, the Bible Project is a great 
resource organization. They've got Bible scholars that work there, but they also work with artists to create these really good instructional videos that teach you. Like, they'll go through a whole book of the Bible, and by the end, within like five minutes, you're like, I feel like I understand an outline of the book of you know, Ephesians. I think I understand what's in there now. And it's really good to the point that I would say some of it definitely uh, would go head-to-head with stuff I got in, in Bible college. I've gotten two degrees from two different Bible institutions, and I would say that the material and this stuff, but then it's boiled down to something that a middle schooler could watch and understand and work through and use as a study. So, like, if you are looking for something to do with your family as, like, a Bible study time, get on their website. There's lots of great videos. There's even study plans you can do with them. My family's done it a couple times. Uh, if you teach a small group through our church, and that'd be a great way to do it. So I want to give you that resource because I think we should all share the things that, that we think are good about uh, God's Word. That's the Bible Project. The first time I heard the phrase pockets of heaven was through a bible project video called heaven and earth and i've been holding this in my pocket uh for a long time i I thought i would want to show it on a sunday morning and i just uh, haven't yet but the way that these two teachers explain the nature of god the presence of jesus and what his presence in the world means to us in this concept of pockets of heaven is so powerful that i just want to see it today so it's about a six minute video we're going to throw it up on the screen and uh and then turn your eyes to it and then i'll come back up here and we'll just break some stuff down so in the bible the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about god's space and our space so i understand our space really well we live here there's trees rivers mountains but my understanding of god's space gets a little fuzzy And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but... This idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a a clear distinction. So you said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. 
but not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So God's space and human space completely overlapping again. And so we got this, uh, we got this picture. Is that not working? If you flip off the light board and turn it back on, it might work. This is how we do things. We just got to talk to the light guy. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Sorry about that. If anybody knows how to fix it, go take a look at it. 
this video, I hope, is a very, uh, a very straightforward look of, of just some ideas about, like, if you've wondered about the, the temple, like, what, why don't we still have temples? Like, is that a thing? If you looked at the Old Testament in the Bible before Jesus came, or in the current status of things, and then we say things all the time, like, we're building pockets of heaven. All this stuff overlaps really beautiful. Anytime that we look at a really big concept like this, I don't care how influential the person you heard it from is. I don't care how cool the moment was where you heard it. You should always return to this kind of pivotal question. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this truth? So what, what I want us to do is take a look at a couple of places in Scripture today where really specifically where Jesus talks about building the kingdom and see how this relates to our concept of creating pockets of heaven wherever we go. So there's three places we can look when we look at what Jesus talks about. The first place I might just call Jesus' preaching. So when Jesus is preaching, I could talk a lot about this and go in some different places, but the simplest place would be Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. You can look it up. It'll be on the screen. I'll just read it to you, too. It's very short. Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? Repent. Let's pause there. I always want to make sure we pause on repent. Repent is a very important word to God. Repent means turn your heart back to God. So some people are like 180 degrees away from God. You focus on anything else. Sometimes you're like one degree away from God, five degrees away from God. But repentance is like returning my heart to God. So we're recentering to that kind of true north position or whatever. So he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's come near. See, there's this mentality that the kingdom of heaven was far away, like, we Christians, American Christians especially, we have this idea that like heaven is this place far, 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 far away and maybe hopefully one day I can get there. And so my idea is like I'm going to accept Jesus, I'm going to get baptized, and then I guess I don't know, wait at the funeral home in the lobby until I die so I can then get my reward and go to heaven. Because what's the point between, I don't know, baptism and, and heaven? Um, well, if you do that, you're skipping Everything Jesus taught. <laughs> Jesus actually doesn't have a sermon where he sits down and goes, listen, I want you to accept me into your heart, get baptized, and then you'll go to heaven when you die. That's, that's not one of his lessons. Actually, what he does is he says, you're here on this earth. I'm building a kingdom. This is how you should carry yourself. This is how you should treat people. The majority of Jesus' preaching is all about building the kingdom here. And so we see it in his preaching. Where else do we see it? We also see it in his teaching. And there's small nuances between teaching and preaching. I think they're kind of the same thing, but it's cool to have two bullet points, right? So we're going to do teaching too. Teaching, what about teaching? Specifically, Jesus, when he taught, uh, you know this. We've done some series on it. What, what was Jesus' favorite style of teaching? Anybody know? The stories, the parables. Yeah, stories, parables. That's what Jesus liked to do. He would sit down, and you know, very few people want to sit in like a, a seminary class and get like some deep doctoral lesson, but most people are cool if you're like, hey, you want to hear a story? You're like, yeah, I would. I would like to hear. And Jesus is like, cool. So he told some stories. Almost all of his stories are about the kingdom of heaven. For example, this is one, one weird one. And, and they were always a little bit weird. And by the way, if you read something in the Bible that feels weird, that's good. Uh, Jew, Jewish teachers would think that you should lean into that because there's a treasure in the weirdness. The reason that Jesus or a rabbi like him would say something that sounded off kilter was because he wanted you to lean in. He wanted you to ask questions. Our goal as American Christians is often, often to have answers. Jesus' goal was never to make sure you had answers. At least to me, it seems, Jesus' goal is to make sure you had questions. Am I asking the right questions? Okay, you're in the right direction. He's not like, ding, 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 okay, you win. Go away to the funeral home. You can, <laughs> I'll be back and getting you. No, no, he, he wants a good question. So for one time, he's preaching, for example, in Matthew chapter 13. And he says in Matthew chapter 13, the strange thing, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I don't know if that's where they make mustard, so you can put it on hot dogs. 
I don't think so. Uh, the mustard seed is a common plant over in the Middle East. Jesus is talking about that his audience would have heard it. But I want to read you his story because the way he tells it, there are at least two weird things he says that when we read it, we're going to be like, that seems pretty normal. But his audience would have been like, huh? Okay, let's just read it. He told them another parable. This, uh, this is uh, Matthew 13, starting at verse 31, if you wanted to write it down or look it up. He told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. That sounds normal, right? Take seeds, plant them in your field. Not normal. I'll tell you why in a second. Though in its smallest of the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that, key phrase, the birds of the air will come and perch in its branches. Seems like a fairly normal story to me. Guys plant some seeds, grows into a big tree, birds of the air, air rest in its branches. But there's a lot of cool treasures in this little story. Let me give you one example. Anybody plant mustard seed in their yard recently? Anybody? Yeah, no. You're like, I don't even know. Maybe, maybe I did. Is that like collards? I don't know. Um, we don't have mustard that we talk about around here, but we do have a plant that's very similar to it. I want to show you a picture of it. Are you familiar with this plant? What is it called? Kudzu. Do we like kudzu? Kudzu is a weed. It's, it's an invasive species that came over. This used to be a house, and now King Kudzu lives there. What happens with kudzu is it was brought over, uh, I think, at like our centennial celebration, if I remember the story I read correctly, and, and it was a beautiful plant, and people loved it, and they put it in pots on their front porch, and they planted it in their yard, and like, man, this is a beautiful vine. You hardly have to do anything to take care of it, and then it would like eat their children and steal their dogs and stuff, and you're like, oh, this is a terrible plant, because kudzu will consume and destroy. Right now, in the southeast of North America, if you look at some statistics, and I, I found some competing statistics, but they're all equally impressive. We have lost millions of acres to kudzu. And there's a statistic about like at the rate at which it's growing. So like I guess there's some sort of kudzu race and someone's like, oh, we lost, we lost Kansas. I don't know. But like, th look at this. That's the pr they say that some of the root bulbs of kudzu plants are the size of a VW beetle. It's like you can't get rid of it without some serious interaction. And so, okay, why am I talking about kudzu? Okay, we, we don't have mustard, but we have kudzu. Mustard was a plant that no person would go into their field and plant the seeds of. Okay, it's popular in Christian culture because Jesus talks about mustard because it has a small seed and he talks about faith the size of a mustard seed. And that's good. But Jesus is bringing this up. And there's some, there's some reasons behind that. He wants us to know that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed because it will spread uncontrollably. For over 2,000 years, nothing has been able to stop the kingdom of God, the church. God's people living under his kingship. A kingdom has to have a king, right? That's Jesus' role in the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like saying the kingdom of heaven is uncontrollable. But there's another thing that happens in this little parable here. Um, Jesus tells a story, and he's like, uh, and the mustard seed grows into a big tree, and it's got big branches, and they're so big that the birds of the air will come and perch in its branches. You remember that? That seems reasonable. Except for mustard seed does not grow into a big tree. It doesn't any more than kudzu does. And so the audience is like, what? What kind of mustard seed you plant? Like, that's, not, that's not what it... But he, he employs a really good trick that rabbis would use. And, and, and you would know it like this. Uh, here's an example. Every summer we go to a, 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 a Wilmington Sharks baseball game. Maybe you've been to a baseball game, a public event, right? And the music's on the radio and it's playing between the innings or whatever. And so you're feeling it. So if you guys would just join me like the teens did this weekend, just bob your head, you're feeling it. And you're like, I think I know this song. You feeling it? I think I know this song. I don't know all the words. 
But then the chorus pops up. And I was like, oh, I do know this one. I do know this one. And then on the radio, you guys have to help me out. He goes, sweet Caroline, you know the song. Now, Jesus is standing here, and he's like, there's this prophet from the Old Testament named Ezekiel. And in chapter 17, he tells this story about this big cedar tree, and it's chopped down. And, and, and then out of the cedar tree, this, this sprout comes, and the sprout grows into a tree the branches are so strong that the birds of the air will come and rest in its branches. And Jesus' audience goes, ba, ba, ba. I know that song. I know Ezekiel 17. I know the story. In the Old Testament, when you talk about the birds of the air, it was often a metaphor that just meant outsiders. Outsiders. They would speak of anyone as an outsider. They called it the Gentiles. In Greek, the word Gentile just means nations. It's like, there's us, and then there's nations. <laughs> there's Gentiles. And so there was this understanding in Scripture already that there was a time at which God was going to somehow invite the outsiders in. But Jesus tells a story. He says, it's the kingdom of heaven. It's like a mustard seed. It's going, to stro it's going to spread uncontrollably, and it's going to welcome the outsiders. Anybody can come into the kingdom of heaven. And his audience is sitting there going, like, what? kind of kingdom is this? Because up until this point, and even since then, a kingdom means we build a wall around our city and nobody else can come in. Nobody's welcome here. We fight to keep you off. Don't bring your culture. Don't bring your people. Don't bring your money. We are the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh-uh. We're going to have a kingdom without borders. We're going to have a kingdom that's going to grow uncontrollably. No amount of persecution of the church has ever stopped the church. In fact, in countries where the church is persecuted, it grows rapidly. They kill the pastors. They threaten the children. And if you turn your life over to Jesus, we're going to disown you. Yet it grows and grows and grows. And, and some of the complacency in peaceful countries like ours is that the church doesn't understand that they're a kingdom. They live under a different set of rules, under a different king. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He has another story that he tells. I'll do this one much shorter. But he tells a story where he gives like two illustrations. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. Okay. Let's see what Jesus has to say. This is also in Matthew chapter 13, and we fast forward now to verse like 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then he went in all of his joy, and he sold all he had to buy that field. So he finds a treasure. Oh, my goodness. Cover that back up. I'm going to sell everything I have. I'll buy the field. Then he just, in case you didn't catch that, he gives another quick story. Jesus is a master storyteller. He can tell like, you know, beginning, middle, and end, two sentences. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away. He sold everything he had, and he bought it. There's so many lessons through all the different parables, but the one that I really wanted to point to in this is the kingdom of heaven is worth changing everything in your whole life to be part of. If you've been around the church very long, you've heard stories about people who have left careers, high dollar, big money careers, to step down into the service of the kingdom of God, knowing that like this is more important than any amount of money or size house that I could possibly own. It's worth changing everything. You have people who are in uh, you know, uh, terrible relationships, ungodly and sinful relationships, like I, I, I can't live like that and be in the kingdom of God. And so they let go of that. It's worth changing everything. Or people who are living in addiction and pain and fear and hurt, and they say, you know, I, I'm going to get out of the circumstances I'm in, and i got to find the healing and the wholeness that the kingdom of God can bring. That's Jesus' whole thing. He's like, it's worth everything. You could trade anything. 
And I could go so much more into that, but the whole point there is that as we're looking and asking, what does Jesus say about the kingdom of God and his preaching and his teaching? We get, we get a picture of that. The third place we see teaching about uh, the kingdom of God is in his prayer. So this is a famous prayer. Uh, most of you have heard it. If you went to high school, public high school, you probably prayed it before football games or other things. I know we did growing up. And so when Jesus is teaching about, uh, uh, about, his, about prayer in Matthew uh, 10, he says this, this is how you should pray. And you guys might know this prayer. It says, you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be our, your, your name. What is the next phrase? Your kingdom come and your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. And I put this graphic back up here from the video. This overlap of heaven and earth. This is Jesus' priority. That we could re-enter a state where God's presence is more common among his people. Where people can enter into the sanctuary of his, his spirit without having to go to Jerusalem to do it. It's Jesus' role. And he's creating these clean spaces. And so with the idea that Jesus is all about the kingdom, and he's going to set himself up as king, he says that the Father set him up as king, and, and that he lifts us up out of the mess and puts it as his right hand. I mean, there, there's some really powerful kingdom metaphors there. We have a role to play. And that's what we, Venture Church, I know some of you are visiting today. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you can see what our church is all about. Like, we just want to spread the kingdom of God. We want to love people. We want to create pockets of heaven everywhere we go. We have a role to play. And I love that when we get a role from God, Jesus rarely does it without showing us how. And so this role starts with his example. It was in the video, but I want to read it to you again. In the book of uh, John, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, it says, The word... By the way, the word here is a nickname for Jesus. And so when we see the word, especially in the book of John, not every time the word word is in the Bible is it Jesus, but our English translators have made it a capital W so we can remember that. But he says, the word, Jesus, became flesh and blood. And he moved into, sorry, I skipped ahead. And he made his dwelling among us. And we have, whole, we have beheld his glory. The glory of the Father, one and only, begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth. So the whole idea there is Jesus set the example. He became flesh. Jesus said, I want to come and be like you. I want to put on skin. The nature of Jesus is not that he was just a great man, a great prophet, a great teacher who happened to know about God. That's, those are true. But even further than that, Jesus was God. That's what he taught about himself, and that's what the early church believed. Proven by the fact that he rose from the dead by his own power. And so Jesus said, I put on flesh and blood. But if this example isn't enough for us, because how do we put on flesh and blood? Like, I don't know. I already have on flesh and blood. What am I supposed to do? I love the way the message translation translates this. Uh, this is a, a, a very, like, kind of street language version of the Bible, and I really like a lot of the phrasing in it. John chapter 1, verse 14 in the message says, The world became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The word there in Greek is the word that kind of, means tabernacled, like set up a tent. Like he kind of moved in. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. That's the example that he set for us to live. And after he set that example, he moves into heaven uh, to let his followers follow his example. You know, when we first started Venture Church, uh, our leadership for a long time wanted we, we wanted to have a building. We're like, this is something we want to have as a physical location. And there's some great church buildings all over the town. And we had opportunity to maybe buy some land out in Castle Hayne or across the bridge and go into Leland. But as we kind of set up a community here on Market Street at the YMCA over 10 years, over and over again, we kind of said this thing like, well, we, we want to be where the people live. There was a kind of vision shared that maybe we could be in a place. This is words that were said, okay? And if you've been at this building very often, you'll be blown away. These words were said 
uh, I don't know, six or seven years ago, that we would be in a place where there's a sidewalk in front of the building that people walk on every single day. Have you looked at our sidewalk? <laughs> you guys who live in the neighborhood, man, this is a busy, I've never seen a more busy sidewalk. This is the busiest sidewalk in the world. It's short of like Manhattan. Okay, it's like, this is, this is like people are walking on this sidewalk. That was our prayer. That we would be in a place where people would be there. Why? Because, because there is the mentality that the, the, the kingdom of God is far away. I got to go somewhere. I got to get in a big old fancy building. I got to get it all dressed up. We talked last week about tearing down walls and building bridges. That's part of that m- mission too. But we said we want to be in a neighborhood where people were. I actually thought that the prayer asking God for a sidewalk was a little too much to ask. Like there's not sidewalks in neighborhoods. Uh, yes, there are. <laughs> When this building became available two years ago and we bought it and we spent 17 months doing the renovation, so many of us were out here day in and day out and we got to meet the neighborhood. We decided to move into the neighborhood. Our first person of peace was Miss Carolyn. Oh my goodness, a lot of y'all know Carolyn. She's your neighbor, right? And she was like, I'm so glad you're here. What can I do to help? I was like, you need to help us meet the neighbors. (laughs) She was the first one in the building when the building opened. She would walk over here all the time while we were working on the building. And you guys know this, but I'll just remind you. One of the first things we did was we threw a block party. We invited the neighborhood over. We're like, let's get some big inflatables. Let's have a gaga ball pit. Let's have free hot dogs. Glenn Titus made fried Oreos. Praise God. Hallelujah. And look at that, man. And here's the thing. We, we think about 100 people from the neighborhood walked over. We didn't have anybody doing a clicker, but we were trying to keep a, a roll call. And, and it's been a slow burn for people to, like, trust the, us. I mean, we're outsiders, and... But it's like, one by one, people are coming over like, hey, they're, they're actually not that bad. They're pretty cool people. Like, we want to love our children. Carolyn was able to get with somebody and get about 20 bikes at Christmas time. And, uh, like, she knew the kids. She's like, these are the kids who need the bikes. And when they came over and picked up these bikes, man, it was so cool. I, I was sad. I was there a couple times when the kids walked in the door. And they're like, I'm here for a bike. It's like, oh, we're out of bikes. We're going to need more bikes next year. I don't know. It's not about bikes. It's not about hot dogs and fried Oreos. That's not what the kingdom of God is about, but it's about moving into the neighborhood and building trust and showing love and creating space. This weekend, this week on Tuesday, uh, I'm going to spare a lot of the details because it's, it's, it's private, but one of the guys from the neighborhood walked over here. I was getting out of my truck from going to lunch, coming into the office, and he said, Chris, 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 I need to talk to you, man. And I was like, well, what is it, man? And... Uh, the short version is, he said, man, I got into a bad altercation last night. There was yelling involved. There was threats of gun violence. There was a lot of stuff involved. And, uh, and he said, I can't keep living like this, man. And he was, he was about to be violent. But he calmed himself down. He went to his home. And the people they live with said, you, you got to calm down. You can't live like that. He's like, I know. And they said, his mom was at the house. His mom said, you need to walk across the street and talk to the preacher tomorrow. <laughs> and we talked for like 45 minutes in the parking lot. And, you know, the, if we haven't been here two years working on this building, and I, I met the guy. He knew my name. I, I've known this guy. We, we've been talking so often. I've walked up and down the sidewalk with him. He's come over here and helped with some stuff. If we weren't in the neighborhood, where might he have gone? I was able to talk him out of some crazy stuff. (laughs) And it's not because of me. It's because Jesus set the example and moved into the neighborhood. What does that look like for us? Jesus gives us a job to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
And he tells his disciples, right? This is the last thing he says before he goes to heaven. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And don't worry, I will be with you always till the very end of the age. That's the, that's the commission that he gave to his original disciples and the one we continue to live out today, to, to go into the world, to make disciples, to make a difference. And the phrase we choose to use around here is circles of heaven. You have circles of influence all over you in your life, all kinds of places that, that you go and that you recreate, that you play, that you work. So these circles of influence might include uh, your job, you know, you work with people, uh, you go, uh, you've got coworkers, you've got employees, you've got customers, right? These are people that you interact with every single day. This is a circle of influence. And remember the circles overlapping and creating clean space? Like when you're in that space, if you know Jesus today, if, if, if you've <laughs> repented, turned your heart to Jesus, if you've been baptized in his name, if his Holy Spirit is moving in and among you, listen, this is a cool thing. The book of 1 Peter tells us that we are living stones. I said this last week, you might remember. We are living stones being built into a, a spiritual temple. So no longer does anyone have to go to Jerusalem to experience the Spirit of God. Man, you are a portable temple. You are a mobile church all by yourself. And so when you enter into your circle of influence, to your workplace, you walk in, what difference do you make? In your home, what difference do you make? Are you setting standards and are you living away and are you treating your spouse or your kids or your parents the way that God would have you treat them? Probably not. And look, we're not perfect. But the idea is that we lean on the spirit of God to say, listen, teach me, help me grow. Make me better than that. <laughs> In the places where you play, maybe you play on a sports team, a softball team, you go play some racquetball or tennis, or you just hang out with the guys or the ladies after work, uh, what kind of, what are you doing? Is, is, is your activity congruent with the things you might say on a Sunday morning? I learned about congruency last night in a podcast I was talking about. It was, it was a beautiful thought. Like There should be congruency in our life, that like whoever I am here is the same person I am here. Like I'm not putting on airs for anybody. It's just who I am. And so, like, is there congruency in the different circles of influence? My challenge for us this week, my challenge for us this week is that we would decide on three circles of influence that you will begin to intentionally build pockets of heaven in. My guess is, because I know a lot of you very well, you're already doing this. You're already doing this. But even if you are or even if you aren't, can I, can I just tell you, that is our mission. Our mission is not to get more butts and more seats on a Sunday morning in this room. That is not our mission. I will say it to the top of the rooftops. Now, that is an overflow of the relationships, and there's teaching here, and there's community here, and we can use this space for all kinds of things. But that is not the mission. The mission is not to have more of an audience. The mission is not to have more of a building, more of a finance, more of a whatever. The mission is that we build the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. That's the mission. And so what are, what are some circles of influence that you have? Think of them. You know what they are. You might need to write them in your phone, write them on the palm of your hand. Because you need, you need to not forget that this is your mission too if you know Jesus. In this space, there's a, a list of things that I think I could suggest that you do. And, and I guess, uh, can we put them all up there? Are they all on one slide? Yeah, there's all of them. If you want to take a picture or write it down. You could start on any one of these steps, but I think this order is probably the most logical to me. So step one. Think of your circle of influence. Uh, you know, you're on a softball team. <laughs> that's, your, that's your circle of influence, okay? So pray for your circle every day. 
the, the guy that I met in the parking lot on Tuesday, I've been praying for him every single day. I almost forgot last night, and I woke myself up as I was falling asleep, and I was like, oh, yeah, I started praying. Uh, pray for him. Why? It's not on. You can't do this. You can't fix this. You're asking for the invitation of God to come into this space and to guide you and to inspire you and to prepare their heart for the conversations and the healing and the growth, right? So you're just praying for them by name as much as possible. And so maybe it's just one person in that circle. Like maybe you got a whole group of coworkers. There's 20 of you, but there's that one person that you, you sit next to every single day. And maybe they're far from listening to you. But you can pray on their behalf. The second thing you can do, and this is, to me, the most important. That's why I put two little stars beside it. Be the difference. Be the difference. We talked about that some, I think, two weeks ago when we were in the Live No Lies series. But being the difference is, if you're sitting in a group of people and, and you perceive that, like, none of them know or are living for Jesus, and then, like, if they look at you and they're like, I mean, we're on the same team, right? <laughs> because you're not any different. You be the difference. Everybody's going off and going crazy and doing all kinds of things, and you're just like, I'm not going to do that. And if you're bold enough, you can even speak up and say, I'm not going to partake in that stuff right now. It's a little thing. We live in a culture where it's, uh, alcohol is a crazy thing, and I, just so you know, like, I'm, I'm fine with alcohol. I like, I like a good drink, but I always have my limits. I would say, this is, this is me, and this is where I, because I, I, I don't want to get to a place where my mind is not checked in, but if, if I were to go out with the boys, and everybody's throwing down, and I'm trying to keep up drink for drink with them, I'm not being the difference in so many ways. <laughs> I'm not being the difference in that my character is probably not going to reflect what I'm hoping it reflects because the deepest part of my flesh is going to come out of my mouth when my brain's not connected to it, okay? I might be putting ourselves in dangerous situations. Maybe somebody's driving under the influence. I'll give one example because I know how common this is in culture, that you can be the difference and be like, yeah, 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 I'll have one. I'll have two because maybe I can handle two, but I'm going to stop. Oh, come on. No, 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 no. I just want to be safe. I want to be here for you guys. You're not preaching a sermon to them, but you're being the difference, in your neighborhood, if something's going down, I, I, do, I think of a lady that lives across the street from me, and she fell down in her ditch one time. And I saw her, and I ran over and got her. I think any of our neighbors would have done that. But there are some places where that lady would have had to crawl on hands and knees back to her house. <laughs> You'd be the difference in that circle of influence. I'm going to go ahead. And then I said, you know what? I don't think we have each other's phone numbers. Let's make sure we have that. Because <laughs> if you need something, you can call me anytime. And uh, you can do that. You can be the difference. For the record, I've made a lot of terrible neighboring decisions. So I'm working on that too. Uh, be the difference. The third one, look for walls that you can tear down. And the fourth one, build bridges you can build. We did a whole sermon on that last week. I won't spend time on it. But we always need to be looking to places where we can tear down walls and build bridges because that's what Jesus did. And then finally, this is the most important. It is literally the last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he left them. You are not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. God's presence is with you. And then hopefully, in time, you will have partners in your circle that can help you as well. And that's what it means to value circles of heaven. If you're in a place this morning where you're just looking for God, and like uh, you haven't really stepped up and said, I, I want to do this with my life, I want to tell you, man, your God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He put on flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood for you. And so the next few minutes, maybe something that you want to do is decide to make that change in your life. You can come talk to me. Actually, you can't talk to me. I'm going to be playing guitar. You can talk to John. You can talk to James. You can talk to anybody in the room, really. These guys will be standing at the back. Uh, but you can come talk to them and say, listen, I, I need to talk about my status with Jesus. I want, to, I want to get that straight. Do that today. And for all of us in the room, guys, we can be the difference because Jesus was the difference for us. Let's pray.